Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done to rescue us, to bring us to you. Thank you that you did that through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray now that you would empower us by the Holy Spirit to hear from you in your word about what we should understand about our relationship to you by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you know it, but uh, this month marks the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Now, when we say that, really what we're saying is uh, later this month is the 500th anniversary of that day when Martin Luther posted his 95 theses. And uh, we here at Cornerstone are commemorating that time by doing a sermon series called The Five Alones. Now, when I came up with that sermon series title, I, I feel like it's kind of like pluralizing the Lone Ranger. Um, you, you can't do that. Like The Lone Ranger is the Lone Ranger. How can the five alones, how are there five of them? So let me just clarify real quick what we're doing here. We're going to look at those five things. Hopefully you can see them up there. Faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, glory to God alone. Those are are five main themes that came out of the Reformation, and and they are really great things for us to consider. So, But let me say a couple things as we start out this series. First, these sermons will not primarily be history lessons. I feel inadequate to do that. So these are going to be Bible sermons with a little bit of history mixed in for, for context. So second, um, this series is not going to be about proclaiming Martin Luther. Okay? There are lots of things that Martin Luther said that we might very well disagree with. In fact, one of the ways that I like to understand the Reformation is that there was a conversation that needed to happen. And, and Martin Luther wasn't even the first one to bring it about. He was just kind of one of the main ones. And, and some of the things that Martin Luther brought to the fore of, of the attention of the people of those days, there's still things that we should consider. And, and that's, by the way, a great way to look at church history. It's not that we look at, at what people did and uh, elevate them to the, any status of perfection, but we look at them and the conversations that they had and the things that they helped to clarify. And that's what we're going to do in this sermon series. We're going to look at these things from an important time in history, and hopefully they can help us learn God's truth even today. Because we are all responsible for knowing truth from God, for embracing truth. And as we grow in our faith, we should be able to look at people who disagree with us and be able to come up with answers, especially answers in which we say, where stands it written? What does the Bible say? And then let me give another preliminary note about this series. In my mind, this series is not going to be about attacking those who disagree with us. Okay? Um... I would much rather highlight what we do believe. In fact, I have a saying. Is I, I, I coach some other pastors uh, through part of our theological process in the EFCA, and one of the things I like to say is I would rather tell you what I do believe than what I don't believe. Now, believe me, I understand that there are times when you have to do both. In order to highlight what you do believe, sometimes it needs to be in contrast with what other people are saying that we don't believe. So I get that, and we'll do a little bit, a little bit of that in this series, But I want to assure you that my heart is not to attack other people. My heart is to highlight what we do and what we should believe. So let's get into one of the main issues of the Reformation. Let's let's jump into topic number one today. And I want to do that by asking a question. So we're looking at faith alone. And the question I want to ask here is, how can we be made right with God? How can we be made right 
with God. Now, for those of you who have been at Cornerstone a while, for a while, you could probably come up here and give my answer, okay? And maybe we should do that. That might be fun for me to hear what you all would say. Uh, but I want to start with some history first. Let's start with Martin Luther's attempt to answer that question, how can I be made right with God? And one important thing to understand about Martin Luther, first off, and maybe some of you don't know this or had forgotten this, Martin Luther started out as a Catholic monk. So he eventually did a lot of reformation, but uh, he started within the Catholic Church. And in fact, he became known among other monks as someone who was really serious about being a monk. So I like to say that he was a really monkey monk, so if you can say it that way. <laughs> if there was something that he was told to do, he did it all out. And he, he got a reputation amongst his other monks about being very serious, but for Martin Luther, it led to some very serious unrest in him. You see, the more he learned about what he was supposed to do, the more he recognized how he didn't measure up. And let me give you one example of that. Part of the Catholic system of the seven sacraments is confession. Now, don't get me wrong. I think confessing sins can be a great thing when it's done right. Even confessing sins, of course confessing sins to God, but also confessing sins to others. When it's done right, it can be a really beautiful part of our walk with God. But for Martin Luther, confession became an almost unbearable burden for him. History tells us that he would sometimes spend up to six hours per day in confession. Think about what was going on in his soul as he felt the need to confess all of those things. Um, in my opinion, it, it looks like a work that Martin Luther was trying to enact, recognizing that he was unrighteous. He, his attempt was to go and to try to do something to make up for it. And let me tell you, there, there's something right about that and something wrong about that. Uh, let's start with something that was right about what Martin Luther noticed. We'll see in Scripture, and I'll show you in just a moment, uh, we have all done things that are unrighteous. Let me show you some of those. So Romans 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. And then verse 20 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Or as it's famously said in Romans 3.23, and this is a verse that if you're seeking to grow in your faith would be a great one to have memorized if you don't yet. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Martin Luther picked up on this idea that on our own, we are not righteous before God. I like how Billy Graham put it, if we can just move ahead like 400 some years. Billy Graham said, let me get this right here, I have to have righteousness to get into heaven, and I don't have any. Now that's Billy Graham speaking on his own, uh, that's what we would all be like apart from Christ. Look at Romans 3.23 again. All have sinned. That's every single one of us. We're all in the same category. We had fallen short of the glory of God. The standard for our righteousness is the glory of the perfect God who has never done anything wrong. And we do not measure up to that standard on our own. And I think what Martin Luther got right was the sense of we don't measure up on our own. But I think what Martin Luther uh, got wrong in his days as a Catholic monk is that he tried to measure up to that standard on his own. He felt this burden because he knew that the unrighteous don't get to be with God in heaven. Um, 
But it's interesting then. Let, let me just do a little bit more history because there were other things that Martin Luther was told to do as a Catholic monk in order to be made right with God. I watched a documentary, a PBS documentary. Some of you might want to Google that. A PBS documentary. Uh, it's uh, narrated by Liam Neeson. So it's, uh, it was pretty interesting. Um, but I, I shuddered in disgust at one point as I was watching this documentary because there was apparently this practice 500 years ago where people could pay to go in and touch the skeletons of dead saints and somehow that would help them in their standing with God. Um, and there, there was one other really awful thing that was going on. And, and by the way, um, I maybe should have mentioned this before, but if there's people who are Catholics who are listening to this either in the congregation today or online later, I would like to say two things. One is I would hope that any Catholic today would recognize that the Catholic Church of 500 years ago desperately needed to be reformed. There were terrible, horrible abuses going on there, and it needed reform. And and then second, what I would say to a Catholic is go to Scripture and, and learn what it means to have faith in God. We're talking about faith alone today. Learn what, it, what the Bible says about what, we, about what our faith in God should look like. But uh, the one other practice I wanted to mention is the practice of indulgences. Do you know about this one? As the church was running low on funds, they came up with this idea that they could sell pieces of paper that told the people who bought these indulgences that, that their sins would be taken care of, at least in part. Uh, they had this idea of purgatory and you could buy indulgences to get less time in purgatory. And you could even buy indulgences for your relatives, they said, and they could have a shorter time in purgatory. And you can imagine to a, a population who didn't know their Bible as well as they should that that, that would sound appealing. You mean, you're telling me I can give money and I can have part of my sins taken care of? And not just mine, but the sins of my relatives? So Martin Luther was a conflicted man. He had this inner conflict in himself in which he recognized that he wasn't righteous, but he had this outer conflict with the church that he was serving because he recognized that what they were saying about how people could be made made right with God wasn't right. So what's the answer? Well, for Martin Luther, the answer came from Scripture. And there's one very providential part of this. He was... He was in torment, and one of his leaders in the Catholic Church said, well, fine, uh, your new job, you're going to study the Bible and teach it to others, which we might look back and say, whoa, he, he wasn't ready for that. He needed to learn first. Uh, but what that gave him the opportunity to do was to study Scripture. And as he studied Scripture, he found the answer to that question, how can I be made right with God? And specifically for Martin Luther, his answer came in the book of Romans. And I want us to take a look at some verses there. I've already shown you some verses from Romans which talk about our unrighteousness. And again, that's all of us. None of us on our own are righteous before God. So let's look at Romans. And specifically what we're going to do is we're going to highlight two words in the book of Romans. One is righteousness, which we've already started to talk about. And then the other one is faith. And by the way, uh, the words righteousness in the Bible oftentimes get translated as, as justification. And then the words faith often get translated as trust or believe. But we're talking about the same topics, however they're translated. So we're going to start in Romans 1, and we're going to look at a verse that is sometimes called Martin Luther's gateway. It was for him a, a gateway through which he had never gone before, but which opened up to him the, the truth of God and the truth of salvation. So Romans 1.17 says, For in the gospel... A righteousness from God is revealed, 
a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So let's let this verse set the stage for where we're going. We've got both ideas of righteousness and faith right in there. And here we see that righteousness comes from God. It is revealed in the gospel. You see, righteousness was never meant to be something we would achieve on our own. It can only come from God, and our access to it is by faith. Where it says, again, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. So again, this for Martin Luther was a gateway to understanding the truth of God. Uh, but it led him to continue to study Romans, and it, it leads us to the passage that we're going to look at in Romans 3. And Martin Luther calls Romans 3, 21-31 the central passage, not just of Romans, but of the entire Bible. Now, for time's sake, we're not going to look at all of chapter 3, 21-31. If you'd like to listen to previous sermons that I've given, I, I have preached all the way through the book of Romans before, so you can find them online. And by the way, if you can't find our sermons from more than a year ago, uh, they are online. Um, some, for some reasons, uh, some computers they show up, some they don't, but I can point you to them if you want to go back further than a year. But we're going to look at Romans 3, 21 through 24 today. And I'll read them now. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, I've already shown you verse 23, but let's recap that one a little because it's important. And by the way, the way I understand verse 23 is that it's like a parenthesis in the middle here. That Paul, is, it's almost like he's recapping in verse 23 what he had already said in chapters 1 through 3, that all of us have sinned, that we've fallen short of the glory of God. There's not one of us that can be righteous on our own. Righteousness does not come from us. Now, let me repeat that phrase because uh, outside of these walls, I think there might be a, a different opinion. So let me repeat it. Righteousness does not come from us. And I want you to think about how that would contrast with what people out there might say. And, and I'm not I'm not trying to belittle them, and I'm not even necessarily uh, talking about other Christians here, but think about what people of our day say about righteousness, say about this idea of, of getting to heaven. People in our day, I think perhaps the most common misunderstanding is that people would say, I'm a pretty good person, so I think God will let me into heaven. That, that God's standard, you see how they've shifted the standard there? We've already seen how the standard is the perfect glory of God, but people are saying, I think I'm a pretty good person. And, and especially that line of reasoning goes, compared to other people and some of the sins that other people have committed, I think God will see that I'm pretty good. That's a misunderstanding of our unrighteousness. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and therefore we are not righteous on our own. So, how do we get righteous? Well, that's where Romans 3 is so beautiful. I like how verse 21 starts out where it says, But now, a righteousness from God. But now. It's in contrast to our own efforts to achieve salvation or righteousness. You see the verse right before that? It's one that I've already read. It talks about how we will not be declared righteous by observing the law or by our own work. 
because we cannot save ourselves. But that's why verse 21 is so good, because this righteousness comes from God. And it's been made known. And the Apostle Paul even tells us that the law and the prophets testify to this, meaning the Old Testament prepared the way for us to recognize that we weren't going to be righteous on our own. We never would be. It had to be a work of God to make us righteous. And that's where we get to verse 22, which is perhaps the key verse for today. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. Let's pick out some of the phrases there. First, let's look at the phrase, righteousness from God. If you haven't heard it yet today, let me say it again. Our righteousness does not come from us. It comes from God. Martin Luther tried to be righteous, but he recognized more and more of his unrighteousness. And that's the way it goes for us. What do we bring to the table in this discussion of righteousness? We bring the unrighteousness. We have not lived up to what God would have for us. We have not perfectly followed him. We are not righteous on our own. In fact, that's one of the main points of the law of Scripture is that it shows us our sin. It shows us our need for God. So if we are to be righteous, it must come from God. He's the only one who's righteous. And then how does it come to us? Well, in verse 22, the next phrase says it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the phrase I want to highlight. There are these two words that I've wanted to highlight. The first one is righteousness. We've been talking about that one already. And I want to shift now and I want to talk about faith. And by the way, again, um, the word faith is often translated as believe or trust. So even in the same passage, like, like this verse, for example, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who, it says believe, but the word again is faith. Now here's a little piece of trivia for, the, for you. I found this one really interesting. In Romans 3, 21 through 31, so if we're to look at that passage that Martin Luther called the central passage, we see the word for righteousness nine times. So in those 11 verses, we see the word righteousness nine times. We also see the word faith nine times. So I think there's something in there. Righteousness comes through faith. From God, through faith in Jesus Christ. So what is faith? Well, one helpful way to understand the Bible word would be to look at its contrast. And the Apostle Paul gives us the contrast for faith, especially in regard to what we're talking about here in regard to righteousness. And it comes in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. So some of the most famous verses in the Bible in regard to salvation, these are ones you probably want to have memorized as well. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. So look there, again, how our salvation comes. It comes through faith, verse 9, not by works. And this gets at perhaps the most important thing we can learn from the life of Martin Luther. We do not achieve salvation, we receive it. I think, in my mind, that's probably going to be like a, a theme for this sermon series that we're doing. We do not achieve salvation, we receive it. See, for a good chunk of his life, Martin Luther tried to achieve salvation, and you could say that it led him to the brink of despair. He recognized his inability to achieve salvation, and it left him wondering if he could ever be with God. But then he saw in Scripture how we receive salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's where we get this idea of faith alone. So when we say faith alone, we're not saying like faith apart from Jesus, or faith apart from grace, what we're saying is faith apart from works. 
that we do not earn or achieve our salvation, we receive it. Let me use an illustration here. I like this one. Um, countless preachers have used this analogy of the Grand Canyon, and I'm just going to kind of take this analogy and use it for my own today. But I want you to picture all of us on one side of the Grand Canyon, and God is on the other side. And, and our, our hope is to make it to be with God, but in between us is this great chasm that none of us can cross on our own, and that chasm is there due to our sin. And left to ourselves, we would never make it across. We would be separated from God forever. Now, one answer to how are we going to get across is the answer that Martin Luther tried. And his answer was, by analogy, to say, well, I'll jump as far as I can and then hope that God catches me and brings me the rest of the way. Now, in one sense, the, the casual observer could just say, that actually sounds pretty good. Shouldn't we do that? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we try our hardest and, and in recognizing that we're weak and we're not going to make it all the way across, shouldn't we then, then hope that God will catch us? Doesn't that make sense? Well, let me, let me highlight why the other way is better. The other way would be to say, as we're again, we're standing on this side of the Grand Canyon, we know we can't make it across on our own. We cry out to God and we say, God, I can't do it. I need you to rescue me. <coughs> to see where that starts, that starts with faith in the God who loves us and sent his son for us. You see, in the rest of this analogy, and again, countless preachers have done this, uh, Jesus comes across to us and he himself is the bridge. Have you ever seen that picture where there's a, a cross as a bridge across the chasm? It's, it's a good picture. God sent Jesus to us. We receive him by faith and then we walk with him across that bridge. He himself is the bridge. He himself is the way. But do you see why that one is better? Because in that one, we are trusting in what God has done for us. We're recognizing our weakness, our unrighteousness, our inability to make it to God. We all, in that analogy, want to be with God, but we're trusting in what he did for us. And don't get me wrong, I think that, that works are important. And we'll get back to that in a little bit. But we have to, have to figure out the right order of all of this. Let's look at Romans 3.22 again and see which way is better, if we're thinking again about that analogy. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Again, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But let's dig into that phrase just a little bit more. When we say faith in Jesus Christ, what does it mean? Well, for one, it means that we trust in his death and resurrection. We trust that Jesus Christ came as a real human being, a perfect human being, and because he was both perfect and human, he was able to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice for us. The penalty for our sin was death. Because we died, there needed to be human death. And that's what Jesus did for us. He offered himself as the perfect, unblemished sacrifice. But there was something unique about Jesus. He wasn't just human. He was also fully God. And as God, he was able to defeat the power of sin and death and the devil. And that was proved by his resurrection. You see, the resurrection validates that Jesus is the only way. The fact that he was able to pay fully for our sins is proved in the fact that he was raised from the dead. So it is Jesus Christ that we are to believe in. God sent him for us, we are to believe. And that leads to this next phrase in 322, 
to all who believe. It might seem a little repetitive here, but it reminds us of something important. It reminds us that salvation comes as a gift. In fact, if you were to look ahead to verse 24, there's a word that's in my translation translated as freely, but it could also be translated like it is in some of yours uh, with the phrase, as a gift. You see, salvation comes to us as a gift. It does not come with our striving, with our working, with our attempt to make it as far as we can to God. It comes because God sent Jesus Christ to us as a gift. And it comes to all who believe. It comes as a gift of righteousness to those of us who are unrighteous but who trust in Jesus. So what should our response be? Should we work as hard as we can at being righteous so that God will see our sincerity and he'll choose us? If we're talking about how we're saved, that is not the right way. The way we are saved is by believing in Jesus. It must start there. Do you get how it doesn't start with our works? Let's highlight this word believe even a little bit more though because I think that this word is stronger than most people realize. Let me use a story to tell you why I believe this. I I knew a guy who who grew up in church. All life long he had heard about the, the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, he, he knew that it was good to do things like go to church and pray. Um, and he, he even heard this idea, like it says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And he thought, okay, that sounds like a great deal. If I can get out of hell and I can get into heaven by believing, then I believe. And, and for him, it was almost like a, a mantra that he said to say, I believe in Jesus. Because I think he would also say, looking back at his life, that to believe in Jesus maybe didn't affect the rest of his life the way that it should. It was almost like he got his ticket to heaven and thought, because I've got that ticket to heaven, because I believe in Jesus, then I can live my life. You know, as long as I'm not murdering anybody and I show up at church fairly regularly, I should be pretty good. But what he recognized is that that word believe is a stronger word than we often think it is. Because what are we really believing in? We're believing that we were unrighteous, that we couldn't make it to God, that our only hope was to give our lives fully to Jesus. And the Bible talks about how that is a death, that we die to sin, we die to ourselves, we count ourselves dead to sin. We, We don't count ourselves as saying, hey, I got this free ticket to heaven so I can do what I want now. We're dead to sin, but we're alive to God in Christ Jesus. I think that's Romans 6.11. And, and for this person who didn't understand that word believe until fairly recently, he recognized that it's a stronger word than we often think it is. So when it says in Romans 3.22, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, the question is, do you really believe? Have you given your life fully to Jesus? If there's only two paths, are you saying, I'm with you, God, I want to go on the path that you lead me on. I don't, want to, I don't want to direct my own life. See, it's interesting. In the book of James, James reminds us that even the demons believe in God. It's kind of eerie the way that James says it there. The, the demons believe in God. Think about that. The demons very possibly had a front row seat at the crucifixion to Jesus. They, they very possibly, from their, their perch in wherever they are, they maybe watched Jesus die, and then perhaps even to their horror, 
They watched Jesus rise again from the dead. So in that sense, James says, demons believe in God. Do they follow him? No, they are set in opposition to him. So if we really want to understand what the word believe means, it really means a giving over of our lives to Jesus, to be with him, to follow him, to trust in him. And that's where works come in. But uh, let me show you a couple more verses. Here's how Jesus explained it. He doesn't use the word believe in these verses, but listen to Jesus talking about faith. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. To have faith in Jesus means we lose our life for him and we follow him wherever he leads us. And if we have a new life to live, that means we have a life full of good works to do. Do you see where where works come in then? They come in second, okay? Faith first. Here's how I like to say it. We start with faith in Jesus Christ. We trust in him to save us. And from there, we continue in faith into whatever good work God wants to lead us in. But even in those good works then, we do them by faith. We do them as we listen to what God has for us. We don't just listen to the ideas of man or even just to the traditions of church. We walk by faith in what God has for us, doing the hard work of getting to know his will through his word, through prayer. And then good works are the constant overflow of our faith in Jesus. So we start with faith, we continue in faith, just like our benediction verse talks about. We know Jesus Christ is Lord, we continue to live in him. And then we go wherever God leads. And uh, a good example of this is Abraham. We're just going to look at a couple verses in Romans 4, 2 through 3. If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, it's always been about faith. Even if you go back to the beginning of the Bible, we meet Abraham really early on in the Bible. And he was a guy who did a lot of good works, But that's not where he got his righteousness. His righteousness came as he believed God, as he had faith in God. Salvation comes as a gift of righteousness to all who believe. That's what Romans 3.24 says. talks about those who are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. If I had more time, I'd love to talk more about that word redemption. It's a word that talks about how we were bought back Uh, Just like it's an awful thing to think about, but just like slaves are bought and sold, there was a price on our head, and God bought us through the, the costly price of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And because we are redeemed, we are justified. That means that we are declared to be righteous. And again, that comes, as it says in verse 22, to all who believe. So if I could just recap now, verses 21 through 24, I'd want to remind you that we've all sinned, that none of us are righteous on our own, but there is a righteousness that comes from God and it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So where do you stand in this? Are you someone who has been trying to achieve salvation or do you recognize that you must receive it by faith? And then for those of us who have already received Jesus, are we continuing by faith? You see, faith alone isn't just a matter for coming to know Jesus. 
Faith alone means that we continue walking by faith. That we don't start with faith in Jesus and then try our hardest on our own. No, we start with faith and we continue in faith. Trusting that God will fill us with the Holy Spirit and lead us into his will and equip us for every good work. And let's close here by looking at our two key concepts, righteousness and faith. Righteousness means, among other things, a right standing with God. You can think of it as the opposite of condemnation. And so both righteousness and condemnation then are legal verdicts. And think about it. What would be the legal verdict if we were hauled into court and the question was simply, have you sinned? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we were left on our own, it would be condemnation for every single one of us. But we are not left on our own. Jesus Christ came, and he is our righteousness. We are clothed with his righteousness, and that is true for all who believe, for all who have faith, for all who trust in him. That's why we say that our righteousness and salvation are by faith alone because we recognize it will never come about by our works. If it were simply a matter of our works, it would be unrighteousness and condemnation. And since salvation through faith in Jesus Christ leads to new life, that means that the rest of our lives should be lived by faith. We start with faith, we continue by faith, and that's where good works come in. We honor God by faith as we keep walking with him. But let's remember that our salvation is a gift, a gift of righteousness to all who believe in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to remember these things, that we, we hear other ideas about what other people say about who gets to go to heaven, about what's right and what's wrong. Help us to remember what you have said, God, that on our own we are unrighteous, but through faith in Jesus Christ we can be declared righteous because of the gift you give us, the gift of salvation. And God, we praise you for that. Help us to be people who remember you and who keep walking by faith. God, I pray that we would honor you with lives of good works because I believe that we should honor you with lots and lots of good works, but I pray that we would always, always seek to do them through faith as you lead and guide us. So God, we pray that you would guide us, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, and that we would continually walk by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.